So anybody have anything you want to give away? A question. Brother Shannon has a question. What you got, brother? Second Thessalonians, chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. So we're looking at 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 2, and verse number 3. Let me read beginning in verse number 1. Okay, now what is your question before we start reading so we can... Okay, the idea... Of the falling away. Well, the scripture says in verse number 1 of chapter number 2 of Second Thessalonians, he says, now. And that word now, of course, is a, is a conjunction. It's following along what he has just wrapped up with saying in chapter number uh, 1. He says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask that you soon not be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter. I think what he's saying there is simply, it is obvious from the first letter that the church at Thessalonica had been informed by someone with a falsehood. And the falsehood was is that the Christ had already came the second time. And Paul told them that because of that, they have been acting like people that didn't have hope. As a matter of fact, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. Look in verse number 13. 4.13 says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. The idea of falling asleep are those that have died in the Lord. They, they have, their bodies have perished on this earth. They have died. They are now absent from the body and present with the Lord. He didn't want them to be ignorant. And anytime we're ignorant of biblical truths, we can only respond from a natural perspective. If you're ignorant, if I'm ignorant of truth, I can't respond supernaturally to the circumstance or situation or thought process that, that is facing me if I don't have truth in me to, to solidify me that I can put faith in and trust. If I don't have that truth and I'm ignorant of this truth, the only thing that can come from me is a natural response. That's why Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant so that you, you sorrow as those who don't have hope. Because what the truth does, it gives you hope. The truth gives you something to stand on. The truth gives you something to walk in. And when we are ignorant of truth, and that's important because we're all ignorant of some truths. There's nobody that has arrived to all truth. Are you with me? We'll never in this lifetime reach a place where we have all truth. If we did, we would be God. We wouldn't have no need of, of God. We're always going to be dependent on God to teach us and lead us with truth. That's what it means, uh, Trevor, to grow in grace means that the truth is consistently setting us free from lies and falsehoods and deceptions that we once clung to as being true. That's why... Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians, talks about the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Why is it a mystery? 
Because people who are operating in lawlessness don't realize they're operating in lawlessness. That's part of the big deception. When you were lost, when I was lost, operating under lawlessness, I didn't realize I was under the sway of the course of the enemy. I didn't know I was being misled by the enemy. That was a mystery. I, I thought I was doing things of my own accord. What my, what my parents had taught me, what education had taught me, what society had taught me. I was blind to the truth and I didn't know it. But I didn't know that I was being misled by the devil and I was under his manipulation. That's what Ephesians teaches us. Ephesians says all those that don't belong to Jesus or that are not under the blood of Jesus or of their father the devil, they don't receive the truth, they don't act upon the truth, and they are being misled by him in this world. And that's a mystery because you don't know that. The world we live in does not know that they are in darkness. Amen. The light they have in their mind is light, but they don't realize that their light is still darkness. That's why Jesus said, how great is your darkness. If your light is darkness, how great is your darkness? They don't know that. That's why it's a mystery boot. And that's why lawlessness is at work today, but a world we live in does not realize they are being deceived, they are being deluded, and they are being uh, misused by the enemy to fulfill his will a world around us doesn't know that. We only see that because God has illuminated that for us. Amen. And Paul says that when we, truth hasn't illuminated our life, we too respond to things as someone that doesn't have God's solutions for life. Amen. We operate without hope. Have you, ever, have you ever expressed emotions like unbelievers over situations? Yeah. You've been mistreated. Things didn't go your way and you respond out of the natural. And then later on, God revealed something to you and he taught you something. And when you realize you thought about a, a certain time in your life that, hey, I didn't handle that very well. I acted like anybody and everybody else. I acted like a carnal man, natural man, fleshly man, because I wasn't operating in truth. And one reason could be is that I have disobeyed the truth. The other reason, I just didn't have the truth to obey. And what God's done is he brought that truth into my life. I acknowledge it the way God sees it. And when I do, the truth that I know and apply does what? Sets me free. What does it set me free from? Lies. Amen. If you had to be free, if you had to be set free from something... That meant a lie had you bound. A stronghold had control over you. But what the truth does, it sets us free from those lies. That's what it means to grow in grace. Amen. That's why Peter talks about growing the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul didn't want them to be ignorant. So he says that. For fear you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe, verse 14 that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. When he returns, he's going to bring those that are with him. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are asleep, their bodies, they will, they will be a reunion as we see here. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, what's the whole purpose of the message? Not the details of it, not exactly when it's going to happen, but carrying the whole message is to comfort one another. How does God comfort us? With his word. Without his word, they were ignorant. They would sorrow. They couldn't be comforted. That's why Paul's saying this message is not to explain all the details and the time sequence and the events. It's just to give you a comfort. One, you didn't miss it. It hadn't happened yet. And when it does happen, God's going to make sure all this is taken care of and you can be comforted by that. Now notice what he says in chapter number 5, verse number 1. But concerning the times and the seasons of what? Of what he was just talking about. Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why do you not have any need for me to write to you about this? Why, why do I not need to explain all these things to you? No, verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, thieves, when they come, they don't let you know when they're coming. A thief comes, and his whole purpose in coming is, one, to take what you have, but it's the element of surprise. He doesn't, let, he doesn't broadcast, well, I'm coming to steal your stuff tonight. That's why Paul says, of the times and the seasons, I would be a fool to tell you all the details of them because I don't know when he's coming. I just know he's coming. And we're not people of the night. We're people of the day. And being people of the day, we're prepared for when he decides to come. If he comes tomorrow, he comes next week, or it's 100 or 2,000 years from now, the people of God will be prepared for his coming. Why? Because they're looking for his coming. And the scripture says that Jesus is only coming for those that are looking for him. Hebrews 9 says specifically that he's only come. The first time Jesus came, he came to deal with sin. The second time he comes, it's for salvation, deliverance of those that he saved from their sins. And he's only coming for those that are eagerly looking for him. Numerous passages of scriptures clarify that for us, that his people that belong to him, that are servant, disciples of his, are eagerly anticipating the coming of the Lord. Yes, we like to know more details about it. But we like to know more on the time frame of when it's going to come. Of course, there's, that's in all of us. But Paul is saying, brethren, it's going to be like a thief. We don't know when that is going to happen. We just need to be prepared for it when it does. And that's what God does to us. That's where the comforting of this word comes from, is that we don't have to concern our, our heart with all the uh, things that are out of our control to begin with, we can rest assured he's coming. We can rest assured he is faithful. We can rest assured that it is on his time frame. You don't have to wonder if he's going to miss it or if it's going to be one day off or it's going to be whatever. This has already been set and determined. God is coming. And there's so much evidence throughout the scriptures of God being specific with the details of things. 
Matter of fact, we'll look at a couple of them. If you remind me, out of Revelation in a, in a moment, we'll look. So go back, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. He again brings this to light. Because we want to keep in mind, every chapter that Paul wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians dealt with this return. He brought it up about the return of Christ. And he says here that they're not to be soon shaken in verse 2, in mind disturbed, tossed like water, troubled in their spirit or troubled by a word or troubled by a letter. I, I believe he's saying three things. Don't let any kind of movement of the age get you off track. Don't let it disturb you. Don't let any ministry in their objective get you off track or disturb you. And don't let any message somebody delivers to you, even if it comes from us, disturb you and unsettle you about these things because that's not the intent. The intent is not to disturb you or toss you back and forth like water. God wants you to rest assured that he's coming for you and he's going to prepare you for that day. He goes on to say in verse number 3, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day when the Lord comes and our gathering to Him will not come unless there's a falling away comes first. Jesus talked about this falling away. Even He said when the Lord returns we'll even find faith upon the earth. This great falling away where those who once claimed to even potentially be part of the, the visible church of God, you see them as a large number uh, fall away from their loyalty and their support of the things of God and they get caught up in the delusion of the enemy, of Satan. That's where the scripture says everyone's name that is not written and the Lamb's book of life are going to do what to the enemy? They're going to bow down and worship him. This great falling away that is still yet to take place. And, and the scripture says that these things are going to happen before the Lord returns and our gathering together to him. And he goes on to say these words. Look in verse number, number 3 when he says that, And the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Now the man of sin, who is he referring to? The Antichrist. Verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. The word restraining simply means to uh, keep back. Now you know what's keeping back that he, the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own order. There's something, a falling away is going to take place. And when that takes place, it's setting the stage for the Antichrist to expose himself as being in his mind God. And he goes on to say in verse number 7, verse 7 says, He's just telling us that for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world. Only he that would be God who now keeps back 
will do so until. Now, our version reads, who is taken out of the way. Personally, when, when you do a study of this, this is how I teach these passages, and you'll see how they fit along with the rest of the scriptures. And I'm going to read it how I believe that this, this reads, because these words, the words taken out means to arise. It means to arise out of something. Out of what? The word way means the mitts. You know what he's referring to? He's referring to the beast of Revelation 13. Where does the beast arise out of? The sea. It's people. That's who it is. The sea is just a symbolic term used to describe people. The Antichrist is being kept back right now, not because of it's in his control, God is in control of these things and everything has its own prophetic time frame of what God is going to do. And when the Antichrist arises out of the midst of the sea and the only thing holding that back is God's prophetic time frame. If you read over in the book of Revelation 13, that's what it's describing the Antichrist coming out of the midst of the peoples, the sea, to expose himself as being God. And when he does that, that's when the scripture says that the rest of the world that has not been sealed by the blood of Jesus is going to worship him. And they're going to bow down to him. This is what all this is talking about. It's a refer reference to the lawless one, old, God is keeping back right now. God's keeping lawlessness back and the lawless one back until he is ready to expose it. There's things that are going to take place before that. You know how God lets reveals in Revelation about the four horsemen and how they go forth, how you've got famine and war and pestilence and all. All those things are going to be taking place and then the Antichrist is going to arise out of the people as this great leader and ruler. The people are going to fall away. They won't, they will, even though all that's going to take place on the earth, the scripture says that these angels, like the four angels, are bound at the Euphrates River that were given the authority to kill, what, a third of the whole earth? And they do that, the scripture says, even the people after all that that takes place, those that are still alive won't repent of their sins. That's the delusion that Paul's talking about in chapter number two. When he says there's going to be great delusion because they wouldn't receive the love of the truth, they're going to believe the lie of the enemy. After all they see take place on this earth with casualty upon casualty, death upon death, terror upon terror, they still will not change their view about life and about the Lord and about sin and immorality and murder. And they're going to continue to worship the Antichrist. Why? Because God's given them strong delusion to believe the lie. This is what Paul is talking about is exactly what John's referring to in Revelation 13. He, he says this, let me read it again, verse number 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work now. I've already mentioned that. It's a mystery. The world that we live in does not realize that they are, are under deception and under delusion and that this lawlessness is at work in them and they don't, they, they don't know. They just think we're a bunch of fools. Are you with me? Yeah. Is the way they look at it. 
It's all right, as long as you don't bother me, as long as you don't get personal with me, as long as you stay out of my way, y'all do what you want to do. But when you start getting it personal with me, I'm going to let you know I don't like what you're doing. But, but in the meantime, I'm going to do what I do. That's lawlessness. And a man that lives in lawlessness, a woman that lives in lawlessness, doesn't seek the law of love from God, doesn't seek what God wants out of life. They live ungodly, just meaning God is not Lord over their life. He's not who they go to for answers. That's lawlessness. That's at work right now. But they would never consider themselves as being lawless. They think everything's good and everything's okay. Well, that's, all, that's at work right now. But there's coming a day when God lets the Antichrist run havoc, lawlessness to run havoc upon the earth. And the only thing keeping it back is God. Yes. Until the prophetic time frame that God allows it all to take place. But when the Antichrist rises out of the midst of the sea, lawlessness will run abound on the earth. Unrestrained. Where it's right now has restraint. But when that happens... Because God has been keeping it back when he lets it happen. And it's all going to happen with uh, the enemy's not going to do what the enemy wants to do without any restraining factor of God. No, everything's going to happen under God's sovereign control. Let's look at a couple. Watch what, uh, what I'm talking about. Turn to Revelation. I was looking at this this morning. Look in Revelation 6. And we see in manifestations of that falling away of, of now, where, where people just are banding uh, authenticity and the authority and the, uh, the authority of the scriptures and people are doing things their own way and they don't trust God's word. They're not going to God's word, but they'll tell you that they love Jesus. Yeah. They'll tell you they love Jesus, but don't love his people. And that's an impossibility. Right. You can't have truth in you and not love God's people. You can't. Revelation 6. Turn there. Revelation 6. I'm going to start reading in verse number 9. Now, I, I'm going to bring these out just to help us recognize that, hey, God is specific and precise in what he's doing and what he's going to do. Verse 9 says, When he, that is the angel, the fifth seal was open, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain what have they been slain for? For they stood on the word of God and for their testimony which they held. They did not love their life even unto death. Revelation 12, 11 says, They that overcome the dragon overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and that they loved not their life even unto death. And he says there's going to be slain, protected under the altar of God. That's the safest place in the world, whether the enemy kills you or not. Amen? Verse 10 says, And they, the souls, cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there's something we got to note here. Here they are. They've been slain because of their love for Jesus and their love for the word. 
for their testimony. But notice what they say. They're, they're not having a pity party about it. They're not crying about it. They just said, Lord, holy and true, that what you just did was the right thing. You did what was best in your sight. We love you. We adore you. We worship you. Not only would we die for you on earth, but we're not holding no regrets whatsoever. You are who you are. And they were worshiping him. Amen. Who They just died for him. And they worshiping him. How long, O oh Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Verse 11 says, Then a white robe, that picture of the righteousness of Christ, clothing them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would yet to be killed as they were, was completed. Whoa! Y'all pick up on that? That is saying that God knows specifically and precisely on who and how many more are going to die for his namesake before he avenges their blood upon the people of the earth. That there was a set number, a detailed number, that God was going to allow to die. It wasn't up to the enemy. This is what God was at work doing. Amen? And he says, I'll avenge them when the last one is martyred for my namesake. You just hold on until. God has a for it all. And, 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 not, and we're, talking about, we're talking about his people being martyred for his namesake. Amen? He is specific. He is sovereign. Let me read that again. And, and notice, your fellow servants, those who were serving with you in the ministry that you were just killed for, there's more of your family and your friends, your disciples that were with you that's still going to die. And then your brethren that you don't even know who they are. They're in other parts of the world doing other things for the glory of God. They're going to die too. And I think that's why he distinguishes Trevor saying your fellow servants and your brethren because we're brethren with anybody and everybody who's ever been born again from beginning of time. Amen. But you are my fellow servants. We're in the service together unto the Lord. There's been other generations that serve the Lord that we're brothers with, but we're servants together. Amen. And imagine God taking and you die, you die for the cause of Christ and you there under the altar, under his protection. He clothes you in white and he says, I, I'm not done yet. I'm fixing to take some more of your brethren and I'm going to take some of those brethren that served with you, that you know personally. And until I'm done, then I'll revenge your blood upon the earth. Man, that's, that'll bless you. That's saying the enemy's not in control of this. Amen. Who's in control of this? God. Yes. He's the one holding back lawlessness. He's the one keeping back the lawless one. But when he rises out of the midst of the sea, he's going to release on this lawlessness upon the earth. And the sad thing is, is people still, because of the delusion. After the, all they see, they won't repent. Turn to chapter number 9. Look at number 9. Look in verse number 13. This stuff excites me. 
He says in verse number 13, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Y'all, y'all, that is simply saying that, that the Father knew and was precise and prepared them for that specific time, for that season. This is not something the enemy has anything to do with. This is what God has prepared. How long had it been prepared? We don't know. Was it something that went back all the way from the beginning of time when the falls? I, I, more than likely so, but those angels are still bound at the Euphrates. Man can't see them with their eyes. You can't go to the Euphrates River and you won't find them there. But I want to tell you, they're there. And they're there today. And all they're waiting on is for the season to come and for the angel to blow the trumpet and for them to be released. And when they are released, they're going to kill a third of humanity on the, pla on the face of the planet. All God's got to do is say it's time. Let them go. And what in the world is the world going to do? Nothing. Nothing. He goes on. He talks about this 200 million man army. Notice verse 16 says, Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, them he said. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them with breastplates of fiery red and however you say that, what is that? Hyacinth blue and sulfur yelling. The heads of the horses were like heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads and with them they do harm. Now watch this. Verse 20. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands and that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries and their sexual immorality or their thefts. He says they did not change their view on what they gave themselves to or how they lived and viewed life. It didn't affect them. After all that, why? Because Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that they were given strong delusion that they would believe the lie. And they clung to the lie to their death and wouldn't repent. The word repent simply means to have a changed view. That's the idea. of you, But you see, you can't repent and have a changed view 
unless you first trust something. The only way to repent is you got to trust. And the trust, that is, God gave you his view, you trusted his view, and that in turn changes your view. Amen. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a, a reconsideration of how I look at a thing. Why? Because I've seen it from a different angle. God showed me something. I trust what he showed me. And my view on this has changed because what God revealed to me. That's what he does with us. That's what he does when he does grant us repentance and we grow in grace and being set free from the lie is that he changes how we view life, how we view people, how we view a thing. He changes it and it comes in line the way he sees it. See, faith is seeing the way God sees. That's what faith is, simply seeing it the way God sees it. And when I see it the way God sees it, my mind changes how I used to see it and therefore that affects what I give myself to and how I actually live this life. It didn't affect what they gave themselves to. They continued to worship um, deceptive demonic things. They continued to worship money, gold and silver and brass and everything. They continued to worship materialistic things, things that had no life in it. And therefore, it didn't change how they viewed murder, didn't change how they viewed abortion, didn't change how they viewed sexual immorality and fornication, didn't change any of that. They continued to do what they always done. And as a result, Scripture says, because they did not receive a love for the truth when they had an opportunity, God gave them strong delusion to believe this lie. Man, this, 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 this is not anything to mess with, amen. I mean, this is saying that, hey, God is ultimately in control, and it is to our best interest to entrust ourselves to him right now, amen? amen, right now in the current. So we go back to that, that thought again. These things, as, as horrible as they will be, the message that we receive in it is that he didn't appoint us to wrath. He, he came to deliver us, to protect us and save us. But, but that's only when he's, his solution's our solution. His answer's our answer. And that has an effect on how we live, amen? That doesn't mean you're going to be flawless. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But it does mean you're entrusting yourself to one who is flawless, who is perfect. And you're resting in him, amen? And you know what he does when he does that? He does something in us that we love people. We love the brethren. We, we, we don't want people to have to go through what they're going to have to go through. That's why we go tell the world of what is coming, but who stood in the gap between a holy God and unholy man and that God has reconciled us in Jesus and what he accomplished. And that's why we go preach Jesus, amen? to see people rescued from their, from their own sin and self-centered living, and he's the only one that can do that. So when we look at these things, that, that's what it ought to do. It ought to, one, we're comforted because God, he follows through with what he promises. Amen. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts is at work today, doing what he promised he would do. He's building his church. 
And those that are not part of his church, part of his family, that doesn't have the truth in them, doesn't have grace in them, doesn't have love in them, doesn't have Jesus in them, are going to perish without those things. Amen. But as John told us in 2 John, he said, look, I love the brethren. Why do I love the brethren? Because of the truth that is in me. And not just me, but everybody that the truth's in loves the brethren. And how long would they love the brethren? He said, they'll love them forever. Why? Because the truth, when it gets in you, it's in you forever. Amen? And what God does is he deposits the DNA of his grace, of his nature, of his love, of his truth in, in us. And we can't help but love the people of God. And a man that doesn't no truth doesn't know grace. A man that doesn't know truth and doesn't know grace doesn't know love. And a man that doesn't know truth and grace and love is a man that don't know Jesus. And a man that doesn't know Jesus doesn't know a love for the brethren. So anybody that we come across on a consistent basis that denies and what the truth teaches about our love for one another in the kingdom of God is still somebody that's perishing in their sin. Yeah. And somebody we need to be praying that God will use us or use somebody to speak life into them, amen, by way of the gospel. You don't have to look for marks of condemnation in men. Men are condemned. Men are rebellious. What we've got to look for is the undeniable marks of grace. That's what we're looking for, amen? We're looking for grace in people. When there's no evidence of grace, that's somebody who needs grace, who needs Jesus. And we want to be a tool that he'll use to, to do that with, amen? Yeah, to help people. That's, what we, that's why we lay our lives down. That's why those men and women that were under the altar, why, why they died. They died because of what grace had done in them, they, were, they, they wanted other people to have what they had, so they were bold and they were confident and they were preaching Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way with God. And the world around them says, if we can't shut you up, we're going to take your head off then. And they said, well, you'll have to just take our head off then because we can't be silent of what he's done in us and what he wants to do for you too. Amen? Him be the glory. That help, Brother Shannon? Yeah. That we're going to continually see people consistently drifting away and away in more and more numbers where the, the genuine believers will look as if they are, are shrinking and being the numbers are, are, are getting more refined as that falling away is, is getting closer and closer and lawlessness is running rampant and people begin to abandon the authority of Christ, the authenticity of the word of God and deny the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's going to be more and more as, as time goes on. And there's coming a day when it's just going to be where those that, that don't have the mark of the beast are going to die. You figure, when they, when they tell the world that you can't buy or trade without having the mark of the beast, 
and the believers are not going to receive it, anybody that's not a believer is going to abandon anything they confess before, and they're going to receive the mark, and they're going to join in with everybody else. But the genuine, authentic believers are going to stick to Jesus. They're going to die for him. Amen? Amen. They're going to die for him. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It really is. Amen? That's right. Look at Revelation 13 real quick, and we're going to go. I mentioned that about this beast coming out of the, out of the sea. This is what Paul's talking about in Thessalonians. Verse number 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up, arising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw on his heads as if it were it had been mortally wounded and he was, and his deadly wound was healed and all the world did what? They marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war? This is what Paul's referring to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when the beast arises out of the midst of the peoples, out of the sea. Only thing keeping it back is God's timing. Not him, but God. Amen. And that, that, this is what this is in reference to. So I would, I would cross that over if y'all was y'all. Write that down. Revelation 13 by that 2 Thessalonians. Put 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 next to that Revelation 13. And you can keep on reading. And the scripture says in verse 7, It was granted to him to make war with the saints. It was granted to him. God permitted it to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Oh, what looked like a defeat. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the, in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads in the captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. I want to tell you, you can trust Jesus. Keep walking with him. Amen? Amen. 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 Yes, ma'am. Ain't he good? Yes. That's him. How often is he good? All the time. All the time. Even those martyrs said holy and true. Amen. Holy and true. He is good. Or we can trust him, walk with him. Pray makes a difference in your life today so that he can use you to make a difference in somebody else's life. God makes no apology and he makes no excuses. When his truth's in a person, that person will have a love for the people of God. Amen. Inevitably. Look for it. If it ain't there, give them Jesus. Amen. Come on. And if it is there, give them Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for your kindness toward us, your goodness with us. Thank you for opening our eyes, for letting us see and by faith see what you see and changing how we view life, how we view ourselves, how we view sin, and how we miss the mark with you. But you, as our reconciler, as our substitute, as the sacrifice of God, uh, made peace 
between me and a holy God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you. Now I pray that you use us to go forth in your name to do your work in these days. There are people perishing without the good news of the gospel and we have your answers for life and sin and death and sorrow and the grave and for eternity. I pray that you compel us by your love and that we would go with our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all.